This is a Broad Pods production. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Broad Radio. Here for more. Good morning and welcome to Broad Radio. My name is Jo Stanley and my co-host this morning is the delightful Ange Pippos. Hi there, Angela, I should say. You can call me Ange. Hi, (laughs) Joanne. It's like our mothers are in the house. It's so lovely to see you, Ange. And we have a really great show for you this morning. I'm really looking forward to all three of our guests. We're Mm -hmm. going to be talking endometriosis. Now, we know that women who live with endometriosis are often unheard, overlooked, and can have all areas of their life really seriously impacted by this debilitating disease. So this morning, we're going to speak with Professor Peter Rogers, who is from Jean Hales for Women's Health. He is also Director of Research at the Royal Women's Hospital in Melbourne and Professor of Women's Health Research at University of Melbourne. He has a million hats. He's going to be talking, yes. talking to us about new research into endometriosis. Also comedian and founder of Sheba. And I hope that you have used Sheba, by the way, George. It's a female-only rideshare. Oh, sorry. What's your name, Ange? I've got confused. Look, I I would like to be George. George is a woman who knows how to get shit done. Like I've, I, she's got four kids, runs her own business, and she's very funny. She is. So we wouldn't want to be George. We're talking about George McEnroe, and she is going to be joining us to talk about courage how you have the courage to set up a business like Sheba, which has been extraordinarily successful, and also the challenge of living with adult children, which is a whole other courageous thing I'm I'm discovering. (laughs) And later on in the show, we meet broad radio listener Bronwyn Jackson, who is a funeral director, helping us talk about death in ways that are not just useful, but even beautiful. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Now, how was your Mother's Day, Ange? It was great. It was it was all about me. So it was it was a fantastic day. Very sort of low key. It started with, um, you know, the presence in bed, the the grade two art class style presence, which was nice cup of tea. But then Francis organised a treasure hunt for me inside the house, um, with little clues that were sort of dotted throughout. And then I ended up at the, in the dining area with a beautiful orchid in the middle of the table and a, a lovely note. So it was it was great. And then I did what I should do more often and I'm not good at, I don't think I'm that good at relaxing. 
really. I'm, I'm sort of so hyped up all the time. But I listen to a podcast while soaking in the bath. And that is something that was just, it was so good and I never do it. And it was uh, Desert Island Discs, um, the Martina Navratilova one. I don't know whether you've you've heard her interview on that no. podcast. It was fantastic. You know, she talked about her life before she went to the States and um, and just, you know, about coming out in the world of sport and how, you know, challenging all of that was. Um, just a great interview. And then I finished off after dinner with a feminist documentary. So I had, the, <laughs> I had a fantastic day. Um, it was really good. That yeah, really, really lovely. But how about is- you? Um, well, I took my daughter to her footy game and then I went out <laughs> to my sister's house and we treated my mum with some high tea, which is really beautiful and spent some family nice. time. So it was really gorgeous. Um, yeah. But I think it's lovely that you spent the day in the bath, or not the whole day, but some time in the bath. <laughs> but <laughs> how often do we get to do that as mothers? And I wanted to raise this, the reason Mother's Day is so important is because the fact is that women do do the lion's share of the domestic labour around the house. Mm. I'm quoting the 2016 census that tells us the average woman spends between five and 14 hours a week in Mm. domestic labour, blokes less than five hours a week. So, you know, the Mother's Day is more than just a token day to say thank you so much, mums, because it just, you know, we need need more acknowledgement of the work and some redressing of that imbalance. Absolutely. And women have made such great strides in the workforce with, you know, breaking down barriers in those occupations that have been traditionally male dominated and law, finance, sport, all of that. But it seems like the home is really hard to shift attitudes inside the home because Mm. women are doing double the amount of that domestic unpaid caring work and cleaning. Um, Yeah. So I, I would like to see, I don't know, some sort of campaign or some sort of awareness about it but Angie comes down to us individually right and all of us would say and I say this about my husband he's amazing he does incredible support and he really is very engaged and active around the house but I wouldn't say he would do 50%. And I've got this list from Pip Lincoln's latest book. She's incredible. We yes. Must get, get her on the show in coming weeks. Um, she's made a list of the unseen work of family life. And when you look at it and you read it, and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, hang on a minute. It's things like healthy meal planning. I do all that. My husband doesn't do that. Um, mm. It's things like researching schools. Yeah, I instigated all of that. Um, it's mm-hmm. things like being the primary contact for childcare and school. How often do they call you yes. over your partner? The school <laughs> yes. always calls uh, me first. Yes, same. But all the correspondence comes to me. I, yep. you know, really, you're right. I should have given the two email addresses. They should both be there. On the school WhatsApp group, it's mostly the mothers who mm. are responding to that. If, a, if one of the dads pops up, pops up in the WhatsApp group, I almost die of shock. I know. It's like there's something <laughs> it's so wrong. rare. Is someone sick? <laughs> <laughs> thing. So, but this is what I mean, right? The gender equality obviously starts in the home. And even though um, maybe the men in the house are pulling their weight as much as they can, it's that kind of system where everything is about the management of the house that falls to the women. And this yes. ma- this leads me to our budget tonight and the fact that there's going to be an overhaul mm. of childcare, we're told. Um, but it's all the conversation around it is what that means for women and mm. women returning to work. Childcare mm. isn't just a woman's benefit. It's the family benefit. 
all these things do are they reinforce old stereotypes. You know, mm. it's constantly reinforcing stereotypes and that's why it is hard to shift. You can change laws mm -hmm. and all of that, but you've got to change attitudes with it. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So anyway, yeah. we're doing our best. We're doing our best. <laughs> Ah, oh, geez. Actually, I want to make mention that our, our beautiful producer, Seth, says my husband husband does more of the household work, but women shoulder the mental load in a lot of ways. So I The emotional. That, yeah. Anyway, mm. looking forward to the budget this evening and really understanding what yep. uh, is going to be in it. For women, we know an overhaul of childcare has been promised to us. There also has been a provision for women's health in the budget this evening, including funding for endometriosis, which is quite new. I believe this is on top of an announcement of funding for research into endometriosis that was made last year. It's extraordinary that this disease is finally being recognised and what great progress that is. It's all welcome news and to talk more about it. Uh, we have a man who has a thousand hats and I better get them right. His name is Professor Peter Rogers from Jean Hales for Women's Health. He is Director of Research at the Royal Women's Hospital in Melbourne and he is Professor for Women's Health Research at University of Melbourne. Melbourne, and we're really thrilled to have him on Broad Radio. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Jo. And, so, and sorry, good morning. Uh, what do I say, Ange? <laughs> Ange is good. Thanks, Pete. I didn't want to make a thing about it. Yeah, let's all be with Pete, Joe, and Ange this morning. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to be Pete, by the way, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, you're leading the research group with 11 other organisations into this really important research for endometriosis. But can you clarify what is currently being spoken about in tonight's budget, which is $21.6 going towards women's health initiatives, including education and pain management for endometriosis? That's in addition to what was promised last year for research? Um, that's my understanding. I've only seen um, a press release, so I'm not, I'm not, you know, the budget's not been formally announced. But absolutely, there's um, a number of initiatives that were developed as part of the National Action Plan for Endometriosis, um, which was published in um, July, nine, uh, July 2018. Um, and increased funding for research is one of those. And, and that came to fruition, or that was, that was announced a year ago. And the, this is some uh, uh, more initiatives. Oh, for heaven's sake. Hey, tell sorry. them that you're on the radio. <laughs> I've, sorry, I should have signed okay. I was very, very poor. <laughs> it's now dead. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it happens to the best of us, Peter. It really does. Um, Pete, can you give us just a really brief explanation of what endometriosis is? Because I know women who experience it are fully across it, but perhaps if we don't, actually suffer from it ourselves we might not fully understand what it is so so um, there's a, a relatively tight definition for endometriosis but there's a whole um, range of other issues that are related which are which are causing a lot of the problems but endometriosis itself so the uterus uh, sheds its lining every month so during menstruation the the wall of the uterus breaks down and 99 percent of that exits the body um, uh, through the vagina, but uh, a small percentage of it travels in the reverse direction, up the fallopian tubes and into the abdomen, into the peritoneal cavity, um, around the ovaries and around the, the, the uterus. And in a, a small, 
are small, but in, in roughly 10% of women, that can those cells um, are still alive and they can attach to the walls of your, uh, to, to the surface of your ovary, to the fallopian tubes, to your, um, to your gut um, and to the walls of your abdominal cavity and start to grow. And they form little clumps of cells that behave a bit like the wall of the uterus. So they, they become inflamed and they can bleed, they don't all bleed. And then um, a whole lot of other things, because there's inflammation going on, a whole lot of other things start to happen, including nerve fibers grow into them and you start to get pain often initially um, around the time of menstruation, but then that can become, that can get worse and can become um, chronic pain or permanent pain. So it's, a, it's an insidious disease. Um, it develops slowly. Uh, a lot of people don't know they've got it. A lot of women don't know they've got it. Um, but uh, ultimately, um, for the people who suffer f- from it, um, it's, it's life-destroying. And Pete, I read that the average uh, wait time for diagnosis can be between seven and 10 years. You were just saying that many women don't know they've got it. Why does it take so long to diagnose it? So there's a, there's a, there's a number of reasons. Um, one of them is that in a lot of women, it starts very young, so it can start pretty much at the time of your first menstruation. And um, at the moment, the only definite way to diagnose it is with a, an operation called a laparoscopy, where a fiber optic is put through the wall of the abdomen and the surgeon actually um, inspects the inside um, to see see what's happening. Um, and understandably and, and reasonably as well, um, the clinicians are, are, are very um, reluctant to do those operations on young girls who, who are just starting to menstruate. And the, the, the difficulty we have and part of the research that we've got going is that most um, of the symptoms of endometriosis can occur. So the pelvic pain and the painful periods and so on can occur for other reasons than endometriosis. And and often they'll, they, they can be uh, temporary and they can settle down again. So it's a real dilemma, even even ignoring women who might go to a clinician who's not very knowledgeable about endometriosis, assuming they go to a clinician that really knows a lot about endometriosis and picks the best treatment options for them, they can still end up uh, deciding that it's safer and better to wait rather than go through the risk of a, of a surgery, which may not be necessary. Do you think that there is, in some instances, a problem around women actually being heard and understood when they do seek help with their GPs or whatever medical professional they go to? Um, definitely. When they're experiencing this kind of pain? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. So, so uh, you know, as always, it depends on the expertise of the, of the, of the clinical people that they go to see. And, uh, I mean, so at the women's, we have a specialist clinic um, with people who pretty much, you know, that's all they do. And so that that obviously, um, uh, you know, they're very tuned into that. But but if you're part of a, a you know, a GP in a rural practice that's having to deal with everything, um, I, I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to make excuses, but but you can see that in, in that sort of a situation, um, the person may not be the, the clinical person may not be um, may not have the expertise uh, that you'd hope. Um, to find perhaps in a more specialised centre. Peter, many of the women I know who suffer from this condition have said that they've been fighting it on two fronts, both um, the, the physical and mental pain that goes with it, but also just the re- to, to be 
respected by the medical profession, they felt like that's been quite a big obstacle to overcome as well. Um, do you think this significant investment that we're seeing from federal government and also with the projects you're working on is a signal that there has been a shift in thinking about endo? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and it couldn't, you know, it couldn't come soon enough. So the, the whole um, getting, getting endo onto the political agenda occurred through consumer advocacy. So there's, there's con consumer advocate groups uh, across Australia, you know, the Queensland group, there's two in New South Wales, um, there's people in Adelaide, people in Canberra. The Victorian group is actually, um, there's a couple of smaller groups in Victoria, but the Victorian wide group actually um, has, uh, is, is in relapse, I suppose, would be the way to put it. Um, and they, uh, with the help of par some um, parliamentarians, really raised the profile of endometriosis and the problems um, with the health minister, with Greg Hunt, um, um, back in probably about 2017. That resulted in a national action plan, which becomes, I guess, a policy document. And now um, funding is being um, allocated to various components of that document um, to make them happen. So um, I think... Australia, in some ways, is almost leading the world in terms of recognising the importance of um, or, or the problems associated with endometriosis um, and the associated. What, what I should say is that the two main symptoms of endometriosis, which are, are pelvic or pain and infertility, um, which have a number of other causes as well, are, are very much on the agenda. And, and I think that's just great. Um, it's really important um, because... I don't know, we've, we've, we've had a system in the past in Australia where unless people are dying from a particular thing, then it's, it's not important. And, and, you know, a bit of pain and suffering wasn't enough to get it onto the agenda. Well, I mean, you mentioned the uh, National Action Plan for Endometriosis that the Australian Government Depart Department of Health released a couple of years ago. And I was reading that. And even I learned something because it said myth period pain is normal, you must have a low pain threshold. Fact, severe pain with menstruation is not normal. I never knew that. I always assumed and had been told all my life that you should just accept this and you just suck it up as a part of being a woman. So I feel like we're not even teaching our girls to listen to their bodies and be advocates for themselves. And, and, and that's what's so, we started talking about the more money in the budget tonight and part of that is for a schools program. Right. So, okay. so that so that your you know that so that the next generation doesn't um, doesn't end up with the same myths embedded in them and and also um, making sure that the, the uh, I was listening to you um, discussing uh, uh, the role of males as well in in society earlier mm -hmm. um, the the, the um, you know it's really important that the, that the boys know about this stuff as well I mean it's it's the whole family that's affected it's the whole everybody if any single member of a family is unwell that it influences the, the the lives of the whole family and everybody needs to, to to buy into that and also I would imagine employers because women I've spoken to over the years have said that this stops them from working from being able to go to work for a, a week or so every month and you know, is there enough awareness in, in that community with the problem? No, no, no. And it's a huge economic impact. Um, but, but as I said, speaking as a researcher who's worked on, I guess, 
you know the the endometrium and, and problems associated with you know either fertility and, and uh, um, pain and and so on for, for many many years the there has been an absolute massive change in thinking um, about support for this area it really was almost impossible to get funding for this sort of work 20, 20 years ago um, and that's changed now very very dramatically and for the better so can you tell us a little about the uh, research that has been funded by the federal government that you're a part of and in fact that you're heading up into endometriosis sure so the, the project is is um, the title for the project is improving um, diagnosis and treatment of endometriosis um, it's actually a, a, a a suite of nine individual projects with a number. We've got a team of about 20 working on this across, um, well, two major hospitals, the Women's and the Mercy, um, but the uh, the clinicians, and we've got 12 specialist, um, so advanced trained um, gynecologists um, involved running different projects and a, um, a group of about four or five um, scientists, including collaborators around the country, working on um, more fundamental science behind the projects. The, the, I mean, I'm very excited by it. The, the, we've, we, for, I mean, I don't know, do you want me to dive into a couple? You, you know oh. that once you start a scientist talking about their research, you, <laughs> you're going to wake up in about a week's time and say, oh, that was <laughs> So what, well, can you just tell us what, what do you think the outcomes will be for women who are um, struggling with endometriosis? Okay, outcomes. So um, one issue is that um, because endometriosis is um, has to date often been treated surgically, it can be treated medically. So with, um, you know, like the pill and progesterone and other, other treatments, but it is also, I guess, mainly treated surgically um, at the moment. And so most of the definitions of of the types of endometriosis and how endometriosis and how severe it is is from the perspective of a surgeon, and that may not necessarily correlate with the symptoms the woman feels or the risk of recurrence. So we're we're trying um, to use as much data. We have a big database of about a thousand women who've come for surgery at the Royal Women's over the last ten years that we are, um, I guess, digging deeper and deeper into to try and understand if we can get a better idea on the type of endometriosis they've got, or even if they've got it before they have surgery, and then what the risk is that they'll get it again. So about, and again, there's not, not good numbers on this, but, uh, but up to half of the women who have surgery will get a recurrence of their endometriosis. And even though the surgeon says it wasn't very severe, they've got endometriosis again. As far as the woman's concerned, that's bloody severe. I mean, mm. you know, Mm. I was cured. You know, my sister had it. She had one surgery. She was in the fifty percent, didn't get it again, and I and here I am stuck in hospital again two years later. So we're trying to understand if we can predict who actually needs surgery and who doesn't, and then who's going to get it again and who won't, um, and what we can do about that if we can then predict whether they're going to get it or not. If that so. A lot of work on diagnosis and understanding the risk you have of recurrence and, and then providing better treat, treatment options. We've also got a couple of projects um, looking um, at, at trying to uh, reduce the pain for women who, who actually have endo 
Um, one project which is, I think, particularly um, exciting or different, we've got a, a, a world-class physiotherapist who specialises in uh, chronic pelvic pain, Helena Frawley, who's got some, some really um, novel methods of looking at pelvic muscle tenderness and sensitivity um, to pressure and, and, and to muscle tone as well. Because, again, there's no data on what percentage of women with um, chronic pelvic pain actually have issues with muscle, um, pelvic muscle floor tone and, and, and tenderness and pain. So we've got work on that. And then finally, the other big um, symptom, fertility, we've got a couple of big projects trying to work out um, what the influence of endometriosis is on the ovary and the particularly, I guess, the oocytes. So women um, who have problem conceiving, who go to IVF, um, uh, the quality of their oocytes is really important and knowing what to do um, in terms of treatments. So more surgery can damage the ovary. Um, but not taking the endometriosis out can also damage the ovary. So you're, you're caught. So which way do we head with that one? And, and ultimately what the long-term outcomes for women are with endometriosis in terms of their fertility. So we're, we're actually attacking most of, the, most of the life story of endometriosis with one or more of these projects. Wow. I mean, it's really just so encouraging, I'm sure, for women who suffer from this debilitating disease to know that at least finally they're being heard and they're valid, that their issues are important enough to actually have some funding put into it. Does it run in families? Absolutely. There's a, there is a genetic component. I suppose to talk in sort of technical terms, everything that we are um, is moulded by two things are genetic, you know, what we inherit our genetics and the environment we live in. Um, and rough, roughly speaking with endometriosis, we, we understand that about half of the risk that, that a woman carries of having endometriosis, she inherits from her parents and the other half comes from what she does, her environment. We actually are starting to crack open a bit more the genetics, but it, it's not helping to the extent that as of yet, even though we now know a number of the of the genes, I guess, that are involved, um, they haven't led, or this knowledge hasn't led to better treatment. Um, so there's still a lot more lab work to do before we, we come up with anything. And we're even more uh, what's that, uh, bemused, I guess, by environmental factors. Um, we, 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 you know, we don't know what it is that increases your risk of endometriosis. I mean, we do know that women that menstruate more, so have shorter cycles and more periods, have a higher risk of endometriosis, which fits in with the whole theory of cells from the, from the menstrual fluid going back up the fallopian tube into the, into the abdomen and causing endometriosis. But, but we're, yeah, look, we're, we're, we're much closer to the start of this mm. journey than the end. Can, can I just say one thing, though? that all of this has happened because of advocacy by women for women. Um, yeah. Yes, once they breached, you know, made the political um, inroads, then the research community and the clinical community was asked to, to do something about it. You know, here's our action plan now, you know, get off your bums and do something, which we, so we then turn around and say, we will, but we need funding to do that. And the government said, yes, here's the funding. But it, it all started because of advocacy. And I think it's really important to understand that and that all women and, and all of society needs to understand that if we don't 
advocate for things that are important, um, they won't happen. Pete, thanks so much for making that point too, because Mm. I want to acknowledge the incredible courage of the women who are already facing a disease that is so debilitating, exhausting, agonising, isolating, and still fighting for advocacy for them and every other woman who experiences it. I think that's definitely something worth acknowledging. And and, um, wow, we we applaud those women for the incredible work that they've put into it. And and, and often with endometriosis, they're women who are perhaps some of um, some of the worst affected. So it is a real commitment because I think um, anybody that suffers from chronic pain knows that that sometimes even just getting out of bed is a problem. Mm. Yeah, wow. Well, Professor Peter Rogers, with all your thousands of hats, from Jean Hales for <laughs> Women's Health and Director of Research at the Royal Women's Hospital in Melbourne and Professor of Women's Health Research at University of Melbourne, thanks so much for joining us on Broad Radio. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Ange. Thanks. We'll have more Broad Radio after this. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Broad Radio. Talking inspo we love, info we need, and sharing more of us. Watch and listen live every Tuesday, 9am, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. Call on 1300 8 Broad. Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere, every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here. 2am existential crisis, we've got you covered. Broad Radio. Here for more. Well, Ange, if people have wondered if Broad Radio is just a thinly veiled ploy for me to have a gas bag with the ladies that I love in my life, uh, (laughs) they could absolutely be correct in assuming that. And this next woman is a prime example of that. She's founder and CEO of Sheba, the female-only rideshare, hugely successful as an entrepreneur. She's a super funny comedian and a great mate of mine. I love her dearly. George McEncroe, good morning, darling. Hello, two of my favourite people. In the world, oh, I just want to get a little and pull out the coffee or the rum or whatever. The rum's a bit rich, isn't it? I don't know. Not <laughs> on a boat or something. Anyhow, how are you guys? Oh, we're really well, darling. Hey, before, I mean, we've got lots to talk to you about. I have to do, the first thing that people always want to know about as you as an entrepreneur and a founder of an extremely successful business, Sheba Rideshare, um, what led you down that path to be so courageous? 
oh, desperation, missing out on a job on 774. Uh, no, <laughs> um, well, that. But I think, like, I really needed to to do something with to get a house. So I don't know if you've noticed with this budget, I've been just in a lot of white hot rage of turning myself into butter, walking around a tree of frustration. Um, but when you get divorced, you kind of, you'll notice that a lot of women get shafted because you don't get money while you raise your children and you don't get superannuation. And then if you split up, you get like a little bit more of a percentage of the family property, but that's it. And then you go to the bank and they won't give you any money because you don't have a career as such and you've got these wonderful children, but the banks see them as a liability, strangely enough, and not an asset. Um, so, and you still got to house them. And then they go, and how many more years of child support are you going to get? And, of course, after kids turn 18, their father doesn't need to support them anymore because, you know, they are fully funding themselves at 18 sure. as, as we understand um they will go and work full time while they study at university and, <laughs> and cars, which is great which is obviously what everyone understands to be the case um and another thing people don't understand too is if the father of a child goes and has more children the court doesn't say oh now you've got to add more child support to the children you have they say no no this is like one mars bar and you just slice it further and further into smaller pieces so if you are unfortunate enough to divorce a man who goes on to have say five more children and you had three his wage now gets divided into eight slices and the court says that's a fair and reasonable thing even though you can explain to an eight-year-old that you can only afford to keep one puppy you can't explain to a 58-year-old that you can only afford to have three children so anyway it all sounds fair and reasonable in the eyes of the people who legislated those things. But it didn't sound fair and reasonable that you could make childcare tax deductible. So blow me down with a feather. Women who are 50 to 65 find themselves short of coin. And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if I could enable women to keep themselves employed by monetizing some of their you know, labour while they're at home looking after children and um, help with some of the logistics by creating a service and stop women being sexually assaulted in cars when they are travelling around because that happens with, um, you know, all too much frequency. So with that in mind, I went about building an app, um, bringing in the water, cooking tea, cleaning up the dog shit. And there we go. That's what I did. Here it is. Uh, here we go. Have a crack. Um, so, yeah, that's what I did. I'm in a bit of a cranky mood. That budget's really had me freaking out. It's made me, it put me in a bad mood for about four days. Well, I've been what, tweeting. What, what particular about has made you cranky? Oh, this idea of doing things. Like I was excited by the childcare thing. Then I saw it's not going to happen. Not that any of it would help me now, right, but... You know, even still, I employ so many women who, for whom childcare eats up 90% of their wage. But I keep saying to them, stay in it because stay in your career because should it all go belly up, you know, having this ongoing career will be the thing that saves you in life. But, you know, it's not, it's going to be a pittance of 
a reduction. It's not, you know, the childcare centres will eat up whatever benefit comes from this addition because childcare workers are paid so little, you know, and it doesn't happen until 2022 anyway. You know, there's just so many things about it that just, uh, it's going to give a veneer of doing something when it's not really adequate. Um, mm. So, yeah. I've just had a very inarticulate tantrum there. But um, so, however, that's what tantrums are like, isn't it? You know, when you're so full of things you want to say, you just get like, and, and, and then, um, yeah. So. <laughs> I, I'm going I'm to sit down and, and watch and listen tonight. I want to see what they're doing about violence against women and, and homelessness for so many women. And um, they haven't been able to find a gendered lens in the past Let's hope somebody at the big house in Canberra has found the gendered lens and can look at this and look at it properly because it's an epidemic. Um, it is it is destroying so many lives, and I'm I'm just the lack of leadership is what really gets me. So I'll be very interested to see what comes of that tonight. But they're, they're all sort of form. See, I see them as integrated as well, Ange. Like the violence by way of omission of services and, you know, lack of financial independence is a form of violence because it creates a dependency that leads to terrible structural power imbalances within the family home, which is absolutely the breeding ground for family violence. So financial dependency creates a power imbalance which creates you know that they're all part and parcel so when you say women don't matter you you are creating a perfect storm and that's we know that by looking at other countries that do these things really well um pay parity family leave not presuming that it will only be women who look after children um you know so we've got and, and this sort of scratching of the head, like, oh, if only we had some research on how to manage these things. Like every time a woman is murdered, we act as though there's just no solution or signs that this could be a foreseeable. And that also does my head in because there is so much research and mm. so much understanding. And, yes, childcare, yes, paid leave, yes, increased, you know, it's it, it's the culture in which these things are bred. And, yeah. you know, Ken Lay even said to me years ago that the lack of female presence in media was a contributing factor to violence against women because an absence of women's voices and opinions is another way of saying women don't matter. And if men matter more than women, it is absolutely the licence that you need as an abusive mindset to hurt, admonish, diminish, abuse, control. Yep. So it's all part and parcel, right? And this government's lack of a gendered lens is saying we don't have to think of things through your eyes. Mm. You kind of don't look as much as the boys. So Yeah, yeah. It, it's... I, I can see why you're um while you're circling the hills hoist in rage. <laughs> <laughs> because you can see it so clearly from the outside yes. and you want to get down and say, guys, what are you doing, man? Yeah. What are you doing? And also with the, with, the, with the events of this year, what we've seen in Canberra 
I mean, the Prime Minister and others have had the perfect platform to talk about this properly. What else has to happen for that to go, oh, this is a very important issue in our country at the moment? And he didn't step out to the march and he didn't take the opportunity to lead. And I, I'm still angry. I am too. And I, he also had within his own party a time where he didn't have to be talking about putting a, a budget into surplus. You know, he had a checkbook writing opportunity where for once, you know, I know they have to campaign on surpluses. And in this period of... A, you know, a capacity to say we're going to have to take the surplus off um, the political, you know, as, uh, agenda. We can write checks. One of the main things we're going to do with this opportunity is write checks with that have women and safety, even if he had to use the fact that domestic violence is the biggest reason police resources are, you know, are dedicated to, even if you have to use an economic basis for it, let alone a human basis for it, he could have justified it if he gave two hoots. So it is heartbreaking in that sense. Um, yes. oh, that's what's hard to get past. It, it's mm. enraging and uh, it, it doesn't feel nice to be... Happy day. Of, well, it doesn't, it, does, it doesn't feel nice to be powerless and, and to feel powerless and, and ignored. But, you know, we're not powerless. There's a big movement of we're us. Not working together to, to really shift this. I want to I want to say thank you to Natasha on Facebook who's agreeing with you there, George. She's saying, so true, George, all part and parcel for perfect storm when women's services are ignored. I also want to acknowledge you, George, as a single mother of four who um, yeah. I was raised by a single mum and single mothers are just not acknowledged for the work that they put in and how little support is actually out there for you. Yeah. Um, so, and particularly in the instance of even the childcare overhaul that we're hearing, if you've got one child bad luck there's nothing for you in that so <laughs> i mean there are so many loopholes it's like you know you need you need a law degree to work out whether you're going to benefit or not um but george in in as much as i you know we we are we're gas bagging a lot and we, we're going to run out of time but i i want to raise the fact that you do now have adult children living with you um yes. and that that has presented its own issues for you I hate you so much. You what? <laughs> they don't. They're great. But they, they don't spare. They don't pull any punches, right? So I've gone from having four kids who, you know, used to gather outside the toilet door and say, good boy, mummy, when I had a poo. Um, <laughs> to, you know, that's to having four kids like So they had four under five. I don't know why. And then they sort of all moved through as a pack and they're all really good friends and now they sort of form their own little council, little bunch of senators who monitor my behaviour. They have their own Facebook group and Snapchats and, you know, how mad is she today, which is probably <laughs> um, And I get little reports, I get little committees and advisory, you know, notes. Um, so I'm down to two now, but I was devastated when the first two moved out. Like during COVID it was bizarre. I had nine people in my house. I had of my foster daughter and my four kids and their partners. So I was living in a commune. Um, but people <laughs> hate me. And then they all moved out bar two. And so now I've just got my two, oh, I'm calling them favourites because they're the ones I share with. And like it's just amazing that they can leave wheat in a bowl still 
and literally walk past it all day. And all their mandarin peel, really carefully peeled and stacked up like this, like mm. this in little cup upon cup. So neat, so much effort, can't put it in the bin. And I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't tell you how much I want to drive to where they're studying and throw it at their heads and just in front of all their friends, just, just carefully, like piece by piece by piece. I am. I belong to the put things where they belong society, but it hasn't taken off in my house. The other two don't do it, and I'm kind of sick of doing it. So I'm I'm thinking of just giving up and putting stuff anywhere, just to prove the point of how difficult life is going to be if none of us know where stuff is. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know where your stuff is, right? Like your car keys, your wallet, like mm. the in, where the internet connection is because their friends will come over and go, oh, how do I log on to, I want to hide things like that, things that will have revenge, the mm. remote control yes. to, you know, how they get online and kill people in their spare time. Um, what are those things? <laughs> you know what? I, I, I put this on my Facebook uh, yesterday, George, and I was surprised how many households have functioning adults who contribute evenly to the chores in the household. I don't know how they, they manage it. I did get one beautiful woman, though, who said, my son is 18 and I've told him if I hear him having sex, he will in turn hear me having sex with his dad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but to really mess with him, she should make him hear her having sex with someone else's dad. That's, <laughs> that's the key. That's the equivalent. Oh, well, um, that is funny. And, oh, George, have you had a child move into state or just are they just moved yes, out of the one house? In Canberra, one in Canberra. Right. He, he's gone to ANU because he's better than us. Um, mm. So that's good. <laughs> he's gone. His law degree in Melbourne wasn't quite sufficient. So, no, he's off in Canberra, so we give him a bit of stick about being up himself. Um, <laughs> that's because we all feel a bit inferior. And so he's he's up there. He come he came back for Mother's Day, gave me a little bit of a 360 about the ways in which I could improve my behaviour. Helpful. Um, so yeah, appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Glad I paid for the airfare. Back you go. Here's your hat. Watch your hurry. Um, so that was nice. But, look, it's, it's good that he's there. Um, one less person to feed. My daughter's great. Like she, she does the emotional labour things, like buying the card. So I can see that she'll be unhappy in twenty years when she's in an office job and is unpacking the dishwasher and writing passive aggressive notes on the fridge. Um, that's kind of <laughs> the perennial genetics. <laughs> That's oh, where we end up. It is. Um, George, it's been gorgeous as ever to speak with you. And I do want to mention, because you've mentioned this to me, that you need drivers for Sheba. We so need drivers. We have so much demand at the moment for people wanting to use the service. So many kids. So we, one of the big pluses with the service is you can bring your own kids in the car to drive with. You can have a car of any age. Um, you can make around about a thousand bucks a week. And we have a serve. You can call, get help to, you know, upload your documents. You do need some documentation. The one thing you do need that you don't need for anything else is a working with children check, because we're the only service that takes minors. So, um, yeah, get a car seat if you want. You don't have to, but you make really good coin if you've got a car seat. So, and you can take all your trips in advance if you want as well. So you don't have to drive around the streets cruising, unless that's your thing. 
That's yeah. how I do it. I drive as well. So yeah, we'd love to see you at Sheba. Yeah, amazing. So uh, the website is there on the on the screen, but you just go to sheba.com.au forward slash drive. Awesome to see you again, George. We'll have you again some love other this. time. I I've had therapy. <laughs> That's it. That's yeah, what we're here for. Good. <laughs> yes. Namaste, ladies. Namaste, wow. darling. And all the best Bye. with the budget rage. Okay. Lovely to see you. <laughs> we'll have more broad radio after this. So, Ange, one of the things I have absolutely loved about Broad Radio is meeting, learning from and chatting with our brilliant listeners. And the woman we're about to meet has been one of our very first listeners. She jumped on board Broad Radio really early. So we love her already, right? Yes. Um, but she's so fascinating. I've spoken with her before She on the phone. We've just been catching up. She's a funeral director and has written a book designed to help us prepare for and talk about our own death. Her name is Bronwyn Jackson. Hi there, Bronnie. Good morning. It's so lovely to see you. Thanks again for joining us right back when we first started as one of our first listeners. Thank you for inviting me on today. So death is something that most of us avoid thinking about. I certainly yes. have to say I'm not good at thinking about and it. Uh, yeah, um, but you're a funeral director, so you work with it, you face it, you sort of manage people who are handling the loss of someone dear to them every day. What is that like for you? Very rewarding. It's probably the most rewarding job you can have to help someone at that particular time when you you um, they need you the most. So to be able to make sure everything runs along smoothly, you deal with them with empathy and um, sympathise with them. And the reason why I wrote the book, I just found that there was a lot of stress with people that didn't have the information. And um, so I, I wanted to create something that empowered and educated the community and individuals to help their families. Um, we talk about wills, which is end of life, but you know, I just wanted to open the conversation for death and what you actually need and, and how to make it easier for your family. And there's some funny stuff in the book as well. There's some lighthearted stuff. It's not all sort of, you know, dour and, and depressing. Um, what sort of um, observations, that, you know, did you make when, you know, during your time and how are they in the book? You know, you talk about choice of music and sort of how people want to be remembered. What's, uh, what's in the book? Yeah, so the first part is all the information you need for uh, births, deaths and marriages. And sometimes that can be really difficult to try and find. Um, so my dad passed in October and um, to try and find his mother's maiden name uh, is if you didn't know um, or have it written down, they may, may sound sort of quite um, quite easy, but they're, they're things that aren't. You have to find you know, marriage certificates and those type of things. Uh, but the second part's a bit more, let's have a bit of fun. So, and it's to be able to create a eulogy, but also just to be able to pass on to the next generation about how unique your life really was, all the things that you enjoyed, your, you know, quotes, your favourite quotes and songs and favourite food. And I think the following generations would love to have something like that. So for my grandchildren, I'm sure they'd like to know what things were like in my day. Hopefully it'll be a long time before I <laughs> pass over. But, 
you know, they're all wonderful things. There's a place for a photograph and dried flowers and uh, a little memorial book. So uh, in COVID, it was very difficult. And like my dad, my, my children couldn't go. So we're having a memorial later. So with that, you can write down the people's names. I'll probably be a bit cheeky in, uh, when I've got mine. I've got mine written out. I've got my name up the top. So because obviously I'll be there. Um, so it's all it's all a bit. Um, you can do it in your own privacy, which I I really wanted people to be able to have. And uh, now I've created a forum on Facebook. So people are just so fascinated if you're a funeral director and. There's so many questions out there that they really would like to have answered and there really is nowhere for them to go. So I thought if I created a forum, they could ask me questions and I can answer that for them. What's, the, what's, the, what's one of the main, most common questions you get asked as a funeral director? Um, well, what you actually need, um, what it's like being a funeral director, um, just people that I've spoken with. I did a little business course and... And the lady that was running it said, oh, my goodness, that's just the best idea. Can I purchase one of your books? And I went and saw her and she said, would my mother have been in the coffin when we had a, a viewing? And I said, oh, absolutely. Um, probably the main thing people, people ask is, is it just your ashes? Is there only one person that goes in oh. at that time? And that's definitely true. It is. Uh, I think back in back in the day, the concept, you know, of a funeral director probably wasn't a very kind one. It was a bit like people say about real estate agents and car salesmen. But but um, these, you know, everybody's just so wonderful. I mean, we do this job because we are empathetic people that would like to be able to, you know, help the community as such. So, and that was my main aim in writing the book. Problem. The mm. thing I really love about the book is that it makes you think about your own life and mm. really kind of assess what has by what what have I lived for? What are the things that I've really found joyous? Who actually am I? Which is a hard mm. thing to really think about. Um, but what do you hope people are able to impart to their families from this book? Oh, just how unique their life was. We're all unique in our own way um, and there's lots of things that we don't write down that we don't tell our children. You know, it's like I won state swimming when I was younger. Um, there's lots of little things that I, I didn't even know about my dad but my brother told me. So if you've got those written down, my dad was a great wrestler uh, on North Stradbroke Island back in his day. I didn't know and sometimes our parents may tell one sibling but they may not tell the other. Um, so they're all little things that you can you can write down about how beautiful your life was, and your your children and grandchildren they're going to know. You know, even as in different foods that you like, or do you like a glass of wine, or you know, um, you can even write down some you know health issues that you've had. There's space there to write that, which is really important. Um, you know, as of your first guest today, and you know, I know with myself and my children, so. You know, there's spaces there that's going to really help the following generations as well as having all your account details, your passwords. Mm. You know, obviously you give that to them, you know, the, the people that you trust the most. But um, it's just really difficult at that time when you've got to try and source that information when you really should be supporting each other and 
and you know under that stressful condition you don't need to be looking through paperwork it's yeah you just it's just an easy way to do it your passwords your account your telephone account mm. has all the provision there to write the phone number for people so all they have to do is pick up the phone instead of fossicking through paperwork Storytelling is so important, you know, passing down stories through the generations. Um, it, it, it means mm -hmm. a lot to me and I know it means a lot to people, but because our lives are so fast paced and there's so much technology now interfering with our lives, that art of storytelling has been lost a bit, hasn't it? So this is really important because it provides the, the, the structure for people to pass the story down. That's right. And it's a tangible thing, you know, it's a book. So children can hold it. You grandchildren can hold it they can flick through you know and and it's all there with a nice photograph of your, yourself and yeah so i just wanted something tangible i think we live in a very internet controlled world but i really wanted something that you know you could hold on to and um pass down so yeah, and and that's your story it is your story it's fantastic yeah. to have that thing that you can say to your relatives. It's on this shelf when you need it. Just go straight there. Everything's there in that book. So head to mycircleoflife.com.au to pick up that book. And I should mention while you're there online, um, it is critical to have a will. And one of our partners, Morris Blackburn Lawyers, is actually offering Broad Radio listeners a 30% discount on their My Life Wills online service, which means you can get your will written buy a lawyer and you don't even have to leave your house, which I just love. So check that out as well. And we thank Morris Blackburn for that. I have Wonderful. one last question for you, uh, Bronnie, as a funeral director. Can you help people like Ange and I? How, how can we approach the subject of death and specifically our own in a way that is perhaps um, healthier and not so full of fear? Well, I think that's the, that's the thing, Joe. Ange. I think it's just a matter of opening the conversation. So making it so it's not fearful. And, and once you do start talking about it, it's like talking about your will. So once you start talking about these things, it actually, the conversation, people generally become a little bit more accustomed to it. And that's the problem that we've had is that we don't open the conversation. But you would be very surprised how many questions people have, or once you do open the conversation, they will actually want to have some input into that. So I think it's just gently, gently. It's not something that's, you know, you can do, you can do it over a dinner party, but you know what I mean. It's just something that you have to take your time with and you have to make sure the other person's comfortable with that too. So mm -hmm. if you're sort of on the same wavelength, just gently, gently, that's all we can do to open the conversation. But I hope people would join me on my Facebook page too and if they have any questions that they'd like answered, um, they can private message me and I'll be going on. I've just started, so I'll be going on live just to answer the questions that people have. Thank you so much, Bronwyn. It's been lovely to speak with you and check out mycircleoflife.com.au. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Ange. Have Thanks. a great day. Thanks, Bronnie. We'll have more Broad Radio after this. Well, that's been our show today, and I just want to mention, I don't think either of us would need to write mm. down in a book that we liked wine for our children to know <laughs> that we liked wine. Yes, that, that's a given. I did hear you chuckle when Bonnie <laughs> mentioned like... wine. 
was like, I got, do you know what I got for Mother's Day? I got four beautiful glasses, uh, martini glasses with a spectacular bottle of gin from my daughter. Fantastic. I mean, she didn't need to ask what I would like. No, no. But, you know, I'm a reluctant um, talker about death. You know, I don't really want to talk about it, but I'm being forced to because Francis, who is eight, as you know, he's quite fascinated by death Mm. and you know if he hears a snippet on the news he wants to have that conversation you know about the the all the details involved in someone's death so i'm yeah being sort of drawn into that world and um and of course he wants to know about heaven is it is it real i said i have no idea i said look i there's, there, uh, there's no evidence. I, I've seen no evidence. No one's come back to talk to me. Um, but, you know, that's something that he will, you know, figure yeah, out in, yeah. in time. But it, it's yeah. um, it's unknown. Mm. It's unknown. And I don't have a strong religious sort of footing as well. So mm. it's, it's, it's tricky. I tell you what, you've brought up a very serious topic at four past ten when usually we'd be wrapping the show right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everybody. What do we do? <laughs> For the record, I do believe in afterlife and in heaven. So um, that's for something for us to talk about at another date. <laughs> Put it in the diary. Oh, that's wow. another topic. That's big. Okay. Well, and as always, it's been a true delight to have you <laughs> on Broad Radio. I do adore our time together. We'll be seeing each other again soon. Very soon, I hope. See okay. you, Joe. Bye, everyone. More Broad Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.